Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. It's another episode of the Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast uh, where we interview your favorite actors and celebrities from film and television, music, comedy, and more. Wherever pop culture exists, uh, you will find us there. We have a huge guest today. We are talking with actor and performer Stacy Keach. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. This is funny because when we when we booked the interview... Um, I was under the impression he was going to be in Poland, which is where he resides temporarily, but now he's back in New York. Uh, and we were joking about the fact that, uh, he's been commuting. <laughs> That's a long commute. Uh, Stacy, yes. welcome to the show, sir. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Brett. Nice to be with you. Yeah. So you were living in Warsaw, Poland, kind of temporarily, and now you have a new episode or you had a new episode that you were working on of Blue Bloods. Let's talk Correct. about that because, I mean, your body of work is massive, but we jokingly say uh, that you've been commuting, but that's pretty common for you and, and a lot of actors uh, to do that, right? Especially when you do as much as you do and the amount of projects that you're involved in. Right. Well, the reason I've been in Warsaw, I my wife of 37 years, Malgosia, is Polish and uh we uh, we have two wonderful children that uh, and I've enjoyed moving back and forth between Warsaw, Poland, and the United States and other parts of the world, depending on where I'm working at the time. But people keep asking me, hey, "Did you have you learned Polish?" <laughs> well, you know, I understand a lot of it. I have to because when my kids, who both speak fluent Polish, when they want something from me, they speak Polish behind my back to my to my, <laughs> my wife. So I have to know what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, or if your wife is talking to you about something specific, um, uh, I imagine when you're having uh, marital type conversations, I'm. It's kind of funny. Does the language switch from Polish to English, or, or do you just have to stay on top? <laughs> It's it, it's it's interesting. It's, it's sort of an, it's an amalgam. It's it, it it's a combination of the two two languages. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I, I I understand enough to get by. I mean, I I think I'm I've got the equivalent of maybe of a, a, a three year old. <laughs> okay. But I can get I can go to I can order in a restaurant and I can go to a gas station and get you know and take care of things. Or a drugstore. And the other thing is, most people in Warsaw speak English anyway. So if I get in trouble, they bail me out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I have to say, you know, when I was finding out that we were able to to make this interview happen, I've, I mean, I've clearly been a fan of all of your work going all the way back Thank to, yeah. yes, of course. Um, but you have a book that I read because I like to read books when I have uh, public figures, celebrities on, because I'm very curious. 
and those books oftentimes will get a really honest snapshot of your life as an individual yeah. and outside of say like a format like this where we're having a conversation it's an opportunity for just anybody really to sort of get to know you you've had a very long and iconic career and have been acting whether it's on stage or film or television for a very very long time and in the book you talk about your experiences and I know uh, even Alec Baldwin gave an intro saying that we get you know Stacy's essence and really just who you are as an individual and I have to say just in the few minutes that we've been talking um what we see is what we get as a consumer of your content. And uh, I think that's pretty great for people. Um, Let's talk about the book. Um, I know you've probably talked about it a lot, but I'm very curious when you sit down to write something like this, how do you, how are you able to decide what you're going to cover? Because your career is so uh, largely spanning, like just, going back to everything that you've done and, and been a part of. Well, that's a, that's a good question. What I, what I decided to do was I, a very uh, good friend of mine, who's also a journalist, uh, Stuart Miller, who's a very good writer. Uh, he, he said, I can help you. I'll ask you questions. I'll, I'll throw questions at you and you answer those questions about, whatever project we were working on. And then we would record okay. the answers. And, and I and then we take the, the transcriptions, go back and listen to them and edit that. And, and that's how we did it. Basically it took, you know, but the better part of uh, a year uh, to do that at various times, because it would be, I would find it difficult to sit, just sit down and just start writing. I, I I would need to either bounce off somebody else and get some I, uh, some ideas and some inspiration that way. And I know that that's not necessarily the most traditional way that people write books, but nevertheless, that's what I did. Yeah, that's how I did. I would have to say there would have to be some sort of special process because, I mean, you could literally get lost in the sea of work that you've done going back, you know, all the way to the dramatic, to some of the comedic roles that you've held over the years and not right. to mention the live theater that you've been a part of as well. I mean, yeah. that's where you got your start was in theater, correct? Or did television come first? That's correct. Okay. So that's, you started in yeah. theater first and then right. like a lot television came calling. Um, did you, was there a little bit of a struggle? I know I've talked to some folks and when they're doing the theater and they're doing Broadway and things like that, there's that appeal obviously of doing things live and in front of an audience. Was it a hard decision for you to go from one to the other or was it a pretty natural transition, Stacy? to? It was, it was a pretty natural transition. I grew up in a theatrical family. Okay. My dad was a, a director and an actor and a writer. And, and so I, I grew up in, the, in an environment where I was I was exposed to uh, the process of create the creative process of expressing yourself. My dad, God bless him, did a, a, a radio show called Tales of the Texas Rangers. Wow, this was in the 1950s, 
And I remember I was a 12, I was about 12 years old. Dad took me down to the corner of Sunset and Vine in, in Los Angeles, where the NBC studios were, to watch a live recording of these actors all gathered around uh, microphones to do uh, a radio show called Tales of the Texas Rangers. And Joel McRae was, was uh, the star of that show. But I, I was fascinated by it. It just, it really, it stimulated my imagination because as, as radio often does. Uh, and I fell in love with the, the process. And that's when I really decided I wanted to become an actor, much against my father's wishes, by the way. He wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, you know, something that you could uh, rely on in terms of uh, a, a paycheck rather than, than being an actor. But uh, once I, I, I went away to college and I started acting in school, in school plays, and my parents came to see me and I had a wonderful professor who sort of endorsed me, William Oliver with the University of California at Berkeley. And he told my parents that he thought that I had talent and I thought I could make it in this business. And they sort of, they, they softened then. And they, from that point on, they really, they supported everything I did. And my brother as well, they, my, my, my brother's six years younger, but he, he also, it was my, my, my dad and mom wanted him to do something, you know, more stable, but they, you know, uh, and, but he's had a wonderful career as well uh, as a director and an actor. Yeah. Okay. I mean, your I'm whole really family good. has been just in the arts for a very long time. So it yeah. would make sense that you would naturally be interested in theater and then acting and then television and all of these other things. And that's the thing about the book that I like is you talk about that a lot. And also just the fact uh, some muses that you've had, uh, some experiences throughout your career and Really, like, when I think of actors, you know, and the work that they've done, I mean, there is there a role that you haven't played yet <laughs> that you want to play? <laughs> because you've... Oh, yeah. I've always... I always wanted to play Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. It was a character that I really... In fact, a wonderful friend, writer, Doug McIntyre, and I wrote a script about Doug, about his trip down the Amazon, and I, I just discovered that it's... It's, it's 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 actually being done, and I and I can't remember who's doing it, but somebody has beat me to the punch. Um, but anyway, in Shakespeare, there's a number of roles that I that I uh, would didn't get a chance to play, and would have loved to play. I, I'm a little too old to play Iago, even though I would love to have played him at some point. Um, I still have the possibility of Titus Andronicus and Time of Athens in terms of uh, wonderful Shakespearean roles that, that uh, excite me. And uh, um, I don't know that, I mean, hopefully we're going to get through this pandemic and get back into the live theater in a very robust way yeah. rather than, um, I know now theaters are still struggling. They, theaters are open, but uh, people have to wear masks and have to be vaccinated, which is good, good, good. But uh I think there's still there's still a hesitation to go full on, full out, you know, uh, 
in terms of theatrical experiences. And it's understandable because people are getting sick still. Yeah. I mean, in fact, recently I went to an event here in the Bay Area where I'm located. And it was interesting because they had listed the event as being sold out, but there are clearly empty seats inside of the event. So I think we were having a discussion on, you know, was that something that they consciously decided to do and say, okay, we're going to say that it's sold out just so people could feel comfortable. But yeah, I mean, just looking at the news every day, it's interesting um, to see sort of what people are up to and not up to. I know over Thanksgiving weekend, you did an event with um, Harris Eulen. It was, uh, yes. that, that, that was a fantastic um, thing that you did in the fact. Thanks. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Uh, Vienna. Well, yes. Well, my wife, Malgosha and I, when the pandemic began last year, April, well, back in, I was asked to do a, a, to zoom a production of King Lear a part that I played a couple of times in a, in a annotated version, a shortened version, 90 minutes. And it was such a good experience. And my daughter, Carolina, who's also an actress, got to play Reagan. And I thought, well, you know, and my wife said, you know what, why, why don't you form a company and do Zoom theater while we're all stuck in our homes? And uh, it was her idea. And, uh, we, we, we decided, okay. We, we, so we did, the first show we did was Katana Hot Tin Wu with Maxwell Caulfield and my daughter, Carolina, Juliet Mills, uh, and a wonderful cast. I played Big Daddy. Yes. Part I always wanted to play. And then I did a production of Huey with the late Clark Middleton, who was a dear, dear friend who passed away, unfortunately, last year. And, but we had the wonderful experience of working together on Huey part that I played in London, the National Theater, many years ago, but I never got a chance to do it in America. So we zoomed Huey. And then I did another two-hander with uh, Juliet Mills called uh, The Unexpected Man by Yasmina Riza. And then that was followed by, though, by the way, those three were all done live. We, we, we actually did those, we zoomed them live. And there were a lot of problems. Uh, with that, with technical problems, um, forgetting to mute, unmute, oh, camera, yeah. you know, oh my goodness. So we decided in the next Zoom presentation that we would edit, and it was a much better experience. We did David Story's Home with Alfred Molina, myself, and uh, um, Juliet Mills and Maxwell Caulfield and Anna Matthias, and it was a wonderful experience. It was edited, uh, and that gave us the inspiration to continue editing. So we, our next play was a brand new play by Lainey Robertson called The Gardener, and I had the good fortune of getting Ed Harris to play Claude Monet and his wife Amy Madigan to play his wife, and I, I played the um, ex-prime minister of France. It was a three-hander, The Gardener, and that was edited as well, followed by a two-hander, Barrymore, which my, I, uh, with Brad Bellamy, an actor that I'd worked with doing Shakespeare at the Washington, uh, uh, in Washington a couple of years ago. Um, and here we, and then 
we did uh, Vienna about Sigmund Freud and uh, Carl Jung with my dear friend and colleague, Harris Eulen, who hard to believe we've worked together. This was our 10th project together. Wow. We've, we've known each other for over 52 years, something like that. Yeah, back, it goes all, we, 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 our first show together was Coriolanus at the Yale Repertory Theater. He played Ophidius, I played Coriolanus. And then we did a movie called End of the Road with James Earl Jones, Harris Eulen, Dorothy Tristan. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been, it's been a great journey. It's been a wonderful trip. We, we, I really feel, I'm, I'm very proud of my wife, particularly because we, we managed to, to, take advantage of the fact that we were all indoors and not able to, to do things. And we, 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 I think we've used our time very productively. And I think that's one of the ways to survive this terrible pandemic. Yeah. To try and do, you know, and I think a lot of people have probably either toned themselves up by working out <laughs> or, 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 or another, I played the piano and I, my, my piano chops got a lot better during that period as well. Yeah. So. I think um, it's funny you say about the toning up on the exercising thing. That was like one of the first things I would say a few months in where I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to uh, get in a little bit of shape. Cause I have a seven year old who keeps me very active. So I was like, yeah. <clears throat> this is a seven year old. Yeah. It's an opportunity. Um <sighs> I think what you did and along with others, as far as bringing theater to zoom, a lot of people started doing that. And I think it changed the playing field as far as content consumption and entertainment. And all of these old companies uh, were getting together and doing table reads and live reads and yes, pre-recorded yes. reads. And, um, um, you know, it just, it was interesting. Even some older shows, um, did some table reads with cast that still existed. Um, yeah. you know, it would have been fun to get uh, a little Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. in there. I want to talk about that part of your career because I mean, again, we've talked about all the great things that you've done, but was that for you a very defining moment as an actor? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, it, for sure. Yeah, it was probably yes. And, uh, I, w I had been a Mickey Spillane fan growing up. I mean, I can remember having dog-eared pages of uh, I, the jury, uh, as a teenager. I mean, in those days, it was considered soft porn. Mickey Spillane was... I've, was, I've read was, that before and heard that several well, times. Yeah. I mean, in the 50s, it was revolutionary. I mean, because he, 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 he openly was very open-minded about sex and... Uh, and he was a wonderful man. I I uh, I was very fortunate to to have played that part. I uh, I I was not the first choice. I was uh, Jay Bernstein, who was the producer, um, was very hesitant to to cast me. And I came in and uh, and I sort of I did a reading for him and uh, I I won him over. But it was not. I was not, definitely not the first choice uh, to play the part, but I was. I was once it once it came my way, I really got into the whole film noir genre, and I studied everything that Humphrey Bogart and uh, he to me was like, and Robert Mitchum, 
the gum shoes of that era with the fedora, with the hat and the, the, the trench coat. So it was, it was a wonderful period and uh, very romantic. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize was the humor. I mean, my camera was a character that he, he had one foot in the gutter and one foot in the, <laughs> I mean, he was, he, he, he had Superman qualities, but he was vulnerable, he bled. And he was like a, a cross between Dirty Harry and uh, uh, James Bond, you know, sort of in between. And, and, but humor was important for me. I mean, I, I always thought, think of him as just being a, a bit of a street poet. If he was, if, and the voiceovers were very important, the, to the narration. So he was, he was, he, he was, if he, if, if the, if the plot got into trouble, then the voiceover could bail him out, you know, could say, well, we, we went down that road, but it was, it turned out to be a dead end. So, and he said, but my, I was feeling good that day because my, my Dow Jones was definitely up. I, I remember my parents used to watch that quite regularly. Um, I was I uh, was young, so I was not allowed to watch. Um, well, you were alive. I didn't. Yeah, that was a long time ago. You, were, you must have been a baby. Yeah, well, I was. Yeah. So I'm 48. So I remember uh, my parents talking about. I, you know, watching it. And that was the time where I had to go to bed <laughs> because uh, I mean, I've since obviously watched it, you know, now that I'm older uh, and can yeah. watch it, you know, whether it's on streaming, I want to talk about another iconic role that I think stands out to me is when you play Barabbas in Jesus of Nazareth uh, uh, back in the seventies. Um, Again, right. something I've seen since let's talk about that because that series was a mini series, if I remember correctly, and that was also one that there was a lot of buzz around it, bringing that story to to life. How did that role, uh, Stacy, come about for you? And sort of how did you uh, get into that and sort of decide, you know, this is a character that I want to try and play, uh, which you did an amazing job in, by the way. So let's talk about well, let's talk about that because that's another. I was very, I was very fortunate. I was. I was in London, and uh, Lou Grade, who produced Jesus of Nazareth, was interested in me for the part of Jesus at that particular point. Uh, I was a pretty active young actor, and uh, uh, he called me into his office, and he said, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. Uh, the thing I want about this part of Jesus is he was a carpenter. He put nails into the wood. He built stuff. That's what I'm interested in. I, I guess, well, that's great, Sir Lou. I, I, you know, maybe, uh, what would you like me to do to, to try and prove to you that I'm, I'm capable of playing that part? He said, well, read this. And he gave me the script and I read it and he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're, and, uh, you're not right for this part, but you might be good for Barabbas. <laughs> So he cast me as Barabbas, and I then met with Franco Zeffirelli, who directed the, the, the piece, and and uh, I was fascinated because I I'd always thought of Barabbas as being a heavy, a bad guy. Yeah, he's always you know, and, and 
And Zeparelli and I decided that we didn't want to play him that way, that he was justified in his, his energy. And it was really not his decision to be the person to be let off the hook. It was, that was the crowd that right. did that. So the, you know, but, but history has often characterized Barabbas in, in negative terms, except Anthony Quinn played him in the movie and he was wonderful. And I think he, he gave, he gave me, uh, he inspired me to, to, to play the character full on, full out without, without any kind of moral judgments that would stifle my interpretation. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And that's very clear in your performance. Um, it's just such, I'm just in awe, to be honest, with all the work that you've done going from the theater to live television to so many projects recently uh, that you've done. And I don't think anybody could turn on the television uh, without seeing you, whether it's on Blue Bloods or The Blacklist um, or Two and a Half Men, even going back to those moments. Um, A couple last questions here um, as we wrap our conversation. I'm very curious because you've done a lot of dramatic roles, you've done a lot of comedic roles and a lot of roles maybe uh, in between. Do you have a preference to the type of character that you play or that draws you in? Or are you just a general creative and you just like to work as long as it's good and, and interesting, um, you know, to you as, as a yeah. creative? What you just said is where I am at really. I, I, I you know, <laughs> The grass is always greener. If I'm doing, if I'm, if I'm working on a very heavily dramatic character that's very serious and almost and tragic, I'm looking. I can't wait to get, do a comedy next. You know, it's like. And then if I'm doing a comedy, and yeah, if I had a choice though, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "You got to make a decision. Or you want you want to do comedy or or drama?" Uh, I would choose comedy. Really. Well, yeah, I think I think nothing is more purgative than laughter. Right. I think laughter is really important. Humor is very, very important part of our lives. It's how we we survive by humor. Yes. Tears are important, too. And commiseration, being able to empathize, empathize with some situation that moves you. But I think that that end of the spectrum, I I would rather visit more less often than the having laugh, having a good laugh. Yeah, I mean you do quite well at both, but I could see that as an yeah. actor having that dilemma inside of your head <clears throat> as a creative, going okay, you know, clearly the comedy and the comedic things. I mean, people remember you for both, but I think there's those moments too. And it's always fun to see someone like yourself who has done both and done the serious and the heavies, and then you show up on a sitcom, you know, like say Man with a Plan or something like that, where you're just being a, a different version of yourself, but it's funny and it's entertaining. All right. Well, this has been, I mean so much to talk about um and of course you know american greed there's that on cnbc if people haven't seen that uh all of your work is out there for people to watch um and of course we'll link your website in our show notes 
what are you up to now? I know you're in Poland, as we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, and you've popping up on Blue Bloods um, and all these other great shows. Is there anything that you're working on that you can let us in on, or is it all kind of just a day-by-day process? It's a, it's a day-by-day process, but I am working on, uh, right now, on Blue Bloods. I'm here in New York doing Blue Bloods and playing the Archbishop, and uh, Tom Selleck is going to come to my confessional tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Well, I appreciate your time, Stacy. Thank you Thanks, so Brent. much for joining me today. It's been great, great. Thanks for your questions, and all of my best to your, to your uh, viewers and your listeners. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.